Welcome to a brand new Tuesday edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen. Lauren is not with us today. She sends her love. Uh, but we have an awesome conversation to share with you all today. You know, in in the midst of so much craziness happening in our world in Washington, D.C. right now, I think it's really great to hear from problematic women who have been leading for so long and who have been conservative in spaces where it's really hard to be a conservative. Um, So that's why I'm super excited to share a conversation with Sam Sorbo today. She is an actress, a filmmaker, an education freedom advocate, and we just have a really real conversation about what it's been like for her being a conservative in Hollywood, what that looks like, uh, meeting her husband on on set, and also her kind of newfound work as this uh, as this education advocate, being a voice for our kids. But before we dive into that conversation, I, I do just want to take a minute and to again acknowledge what a wild moment we are in in history. For those in the pro-life movement, this has been something we have literally been waiting for for almost 50 years. The Supreme Court looks poised to overturn Roe v. Wade. Here in Washington, D.C., what we've seen is a ton of protests. And actually over the weekend uh, and Monday night, there were protests at justices' houses, literally groups going to their houses, protesting outside, holding candles, shouting uh, with signs. The Daily Signal has been covering that. We've been on the ground. If if you haven't kind of seen some of this coverage of what's happening, be sure that you're following the Daily Signal on Twitter. I'm going to be trying to keep some uh, some of that content posted on the Problematic Women Instagram just to keep you all informed of what exactly is going on and where this fight stands right now. We're still waiting for that final decision to come out from the Supreme Court that is the formal, yes, Roe v. Wade is being overturned. Of course, it looks like it is, but you know we, we don't know for sure until that final decision, that final opinion comes out from the court. So the show um, last Thursday was all about that. So if you need to get up to speed, feel free to go back and check that out. We're going to be talking about it again this Thursday because um, it it really is such a critical moment in history. And I think, you know, as you're having conversations with friends, as you're talking about this, just remember that like Ultimately, there's so many arguments on on both sides and people get really emotional on this topic. It always has to come back to just talking about the baby. This is talking about a life and um, is is a baby in the mother's womb a human? And if if that's true, if a child in the womb is human and we believe that murder is wrong, then abortion is wrong. And I think we, we have to just keep on bringing it back to that because like that is the foundation of the pro-life movement. That is why we believe that abortion is wrong because it takes the life of an innocent human being. And, and we had a great conversation with 
Megan Almond uh, recently on the show talking about that. Go back and listen to that episode if you didn't. She just had such good insight on this moment in history on how to talk about the pro-life issue and uh, really be standing for life at this moment. So um, with that, I want to go ahead and dive into this conversation with Sam because she is a leader. She is such a problematic woman and love getting to chat with her. And I'm so excited to share this conversation with you all. So with that, let's go ahead and get to it. I am so pleased to be joined by author, filmmaker, education, freedom advocate, and actress Sam Sorbo, who is most known for her work in many, many shows and TV uh, TV series, but uh, most known for Miracle in East Texas, Andromeda, and Hercules. Sam, thank you so much for joining the show today. It is a pleasure to have you here. Oh, it's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. So we spoke briefly at the Conservative Political Action Conference in February, but we didn't get to have a full conversation. So I'm really glad that we're getting to have that conversation today. Um, And I want to start by just asking you to share your story. You're a conservative. You're a Christian. You're incredibly open about your faith and your views. You're a wife. You're a mom. Um, But you've also really been in this entertainment space in Hollywood for years and years and years. So could you just share kind of how you got into that line of work? What drew you to acting? Acting kind of came naturally to me because uh, I just loved it in high school, but I was dissuaded from pursuing it because, well, let's face it, high school drama teachers are actors who can't make it in the real world. And so the the message is, uh, basically, I couldn't make it, and I'm uh, awesome, so therefore you can't make it, you younger person who I'm supposed to be teaching and mentoring. Hmm. Uh, and I'm not saying that that's true across the board, but it does, it seems to have been true for me because I was completely dissuaded. I was told that I could never, never uh, be successful, and... Um, and then I was, and so I just, I really had a career shift uh, midway through college, frankly. Was there someone that came along that kind of said, hey, no, I, I think you really can do this? What gave you the guts to jump in and try it? Oh, I started modeling, and I was um, hugely successful modeling. Um, and the reason that I decided to model was, first of all, I needed the money, um, I was recruited, so it was you know fairly easy to to say, oh, you want to take you want to take photos and earn a lot of money. Okay, you know, um, I, I happened to be pretty good at it, so I was very successful. And I needed to take time off from school because I was giving myself an ulcer with all the stress that I was under in school. Wow, wow. And did you grow up in a Christian home? Were, were, were you a person of faith when you decided that you were going to no. kind of try and enter this world? You weren't. Okay. I was raised as a Jew in an atheist home where we celebrated Christmas and Easter. Okay. Uh, so it was, it was pretty, you know, I, I would say pretty average secular in a sense. Um, and so in my early, in my late teens, early 20s, when I was very successful financially. And I realized, you know, it's, it's not enough to just make a lot of money. That's not really winning the game. Hmm. Um, or, or rather, I, I guess, I guess I, I figured out that the game was to make a lot of money. That's what I was taught growing up. And I made a lot of money and it wasn't enough for me. It was sort of like, okay, now that I've won the game, now what do I do? This is it. This is all there is. And so I went on a quest 
seeking truth and and meaning in the you know meaning for life, and that's what led me to a belief in God. Okay, so that was I mean that that's really cool. I think that's awesome that you were kind of in this entertainment world uh, when when you decided okay I I need to find faith and in some ways that that propelled you to kind of ask big questions about life and search for something bigger than just fame and money. Yeah, I was looking for I was looking for meaning and I found God. Yeah. Yeah. I guess is really the way. I I was looking for meaning, I found order and when you discover order you find God. So that's how that happened. And I you know, I'm very blessed to to have had that happen because uh there are a lot of people now, I would say, who are searching who are not finding they're they're giving up. And I think that that's contributed to the high rate of suicide that we're seeing hmm. today. Hmm. So what changed for you when you kind of started to figure out your faith, what you believed when you were in this entertainment world that is traditionally not not known for being super friendly towards Christianity, not known for being super friendly towards traditional conservative views and values? What what was then kind of the the wrestle for you personally as you were kind of navigating the Hollywood world with these newfound views and beliefs? Well, I I guess I didn't clash very much. I mean, I just understood that I that I knew more than I mean, this sounds terrible, but I I just knew more than people that I was dealing with. Hmm. Um but, you know, you deal with people on a fairly superficial level, so it really, I never got to the point of sort of proselytizing or evangelizing people. I just, I really enjoyed going to church. Um, I had friends who went to church. That's how I found my church. And the friends who I had who were totally uninterested, you know, when you're when you're young and disinterested, it sort of doesn't matter because you can distract yourself. It's, it's as you grow and and the the weight of the world gets heavier on your shoulders i think that you really start to um to understand that there are consequences and there's there should be some meaning and if you can't find it then you really become lost but i i don't know i'm you know we're getting a little philosophical here <laughs> <laughs> sure uh well you know i i think your story is just fascinating um you actually you met your husband on the set of hercules correct Yes, I did. Okay. And at, at that point, where where were you kind of on this journey of figuring out your own views and beliefs and faith? Oh, I was fully I was fully a Christian at that point. Okay. Okay. Great. So what what was that like to be on on a movie set filming? Um you're falling in love with one of your coworkers essentially, and you're sort of navigating at being a young person, you have all this fame, but also now you're trying to trying to live by these Christian beliefs. You know, once I discovered that there was a God and I wasn't him, uh, you know, I, I, it was, it was a pretty easy transition for me. It wasn't like, oh, now what do we do? And in fact, C.S. Lewis talks about this in uh, The Weight of Glory. Uh, I think it was The Weight of Glory. I'm trying to think. Um, he talks about when he, when he first became, became a Christian and initially he, he thought that it, that if you become a Christian, your whole life changes. And yet that's not really what happens. Your life stays the same. It just 
feels differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess that's, that's a good way to characterize it for me is once, once I became a Christian, life had meaning. Uh, my fear left me. Hmm. Uh, the, the, everything seemed to make a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, those kinds of things. And so separate from that, I went down that, that happened. That was sort of done and finished. And I was walking in my Christian faith and I went down to, um, guest star on Hercules and I met the man of my dreams. Uh, it was pretty, pretty simple, pretty, pretty, pretty astonishingly straightforward. I, I met him and I was just like, wow, I, this is amazing. And he, he checked all the boxes, so to speak. And, um, and the challenge came, uh, because we, we, we got engaged and then we had an engagement period where I was wondering how I was going to make it work. I had, I had said, I had, I had prayed to God that uh, he would find me a mate. I wanted to get married and I wanted to have children. And so that's what I prayed for. And clearly God had provided that for me. But then how was I going to make it happen? Because I was a career woman. I had my job. I was, uh, you know, a working actress and um, my popularity was rising and the demands of the, of the job were, were growing, not, you know, diminishing and I was trying to figure out how, you know, he lived in New Zealand. Well, that wasn't going to last, last forever, maybe. But I lived in um, L.A. It was a very, very long distance. I really liked being around him. I really wanted to make this work. And um, and so I was just wondering. And by the way, I had prayed for somebody. And I had and uh, maybe the, the year before I met Kevin, I realized that there was going to have to be a compromise mm-hmm. that that um, I wasn't going to meet, you know, quote unquote, the man of my dreams, um, because there were, there just had to be a compromise. Somehow I got convinced of that. And so I prayed to God that God would show me what the compromise was. Hmm. And, you know, was he going to be short or stupid or whatever? Like, what was it going to be? God, just show me what it is and I'll make the compromise. Cause if that's the way to get this done, then that's the way to get this done. Then I met Kevin and I'm like, Holy smokes, this is awesome. I found the perfect guy. Hmm. And okay, so maybe the compromise is just this, this, you know, Pacific Ocean, we're just going to have to figure it out. We'll, we'll make it work. And I sort of set aside the idea of compromise because that just seemed like, okay, logistics. So it's just logistics. We just have to figure through. And then he got very, very, very sick. He had three strokes mm. and he ended up in intensive care. And at the same time, I booked the, the best job you could really the, the one of the best jobs you could hope for as a as a young aspiring actress uh, was a TV commercial. So it was a quick job, lots of money, uh, first class travel, New York, three days. Just and and for the for the one thing that I could never resist, ice cream. <laughs> like, so it was a commercial for ice cream, I right? I love it. I love it. And at the time, uh, this this was like, in a sense, it, it was a holy grail. Maybe not the, you know, starring in a film opposite, you know, Pacino or something maybe would beat it. But this was pretty big. And I booked it. And I had to go into the intensive care. And I, and I asked Kevin if he wanted me not to go. Hmm. And he said, and by the way, this put him in a very uncomfortable position of, of admitting that he needed me. And he said, yes, I want you to not go. And I looked up to God and I said, that's the compromise? 
Mm-hmm. And w- with the with the snap of my fingers, I walked away from my career. Wow. That was one of the easiest things I've ever done. Like I can't even. It, it was so it was so self evident. Oh no! If you want a marriage and family, then this is your option. Mm-hmm. And I was faced with that binary choice uh, once more when I had children, and that's why I chose to home educate them. It's, it's why I chose to stay home with them. Then when the schools didn't step up to the plate, I realized that I needed to home educate. Yeah. And even then, it was, that was a very difficult, um, if it, was a, it was a decision that was fraught with peril. Uh, it was a decision that was uh, overwhelmingly um, stressful. I knew that it was the right thing to do, and it was... Uh, I felt completely inadequate to the task, Hmm. Hmm. Um, which, by the way, is a reflection of our education system. And by the way, like I'm super educated Mm -hmm. and I felt completely incapable of teaching my own children, which is absurd. But that's the result of our education system, which tells you that it's not a system of education. Yeah, it tells you it's a system of non-education. And so why are we subjecting our children to it? And why are we believing that it knows best for our children? In which case, why are, we even, why are we even following its dictates when we bring our children home to educate them ourselves mm-hmm. and, and doing its curriculum, for instance? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and, and by the way, those two seminal choices that I made, well, I should say three. So one, staying home to, to, uh, to nurse my husband back to health. Two, staying home to be with my children so that they didn't have to miss me. Um, And then three, choosing to home educate them are the very best decisions of my life. Mm. And that's why I'm such a a staunch advocate for the family, because life is nothing without your family and your relationships. And you don't know what you're sacrificing when you sacrifice those, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like when you drop your children off at school. Yeah. No, Sam, I, I love what you're saying because I think we can think into the future, you know, 10 years down the road and, you know, we picture having to make these really hard decisions. But so much of what I'm hearing you say is when you're faced with someone you love, like your husband's in the hospital, you're staring at him and it, it's not in that instance, it's not a hard decision to make because this is someone that you love deeply when you're looking at your kids and you're thinking about their education and what they're learning even though it's really challenging to think of taking on their education still it's it's a it's a, a yes and it's a hearty yes because you love your kids and you want to do the best for them um and i think as young people we can sometimes kind of um get really caught up in our head about gosh how am i going to balance career and family and all these things and it's like at the end of the day, I think when those people are standing in front of you that you love so dearly, the choices become clear um, and a little bit simpler. But for for you, how how has that journey been um, of of taking on homeschooling your kids and really becoming this advocate for parents to be um, to be their kids' advocate in the education space? I just, you know, I follow truth, and when I find truth, I want to share it. So that's what I do. So I'm, I'm putting together a conference right now um, 
that's going to be, let's see, it's June 24 and 25, so it's a Friday evening and a Saturday all day up in Port St. Lucie, which is in Florida, um, which is a great place. We, we're at the community center there, so it's a great space. And we're inviting parents and even people who are not parents or grandparents, right, to rethink the way that we think about education. Hmm. We need to educate differently because clearly what we've been doing has been a failure. Look at us. Mm-hmm. Right? So now they graduate children from high school who cannot read and they call them learned. Mm-hmm. It's an absurdity. We've been sold a bill of goods. This is the greatest, the greatest Ponzi scheme known to mankind. In fact, it's the greatest heist in history. The fact that we allow the the bureaucracy of uh, of our school system to to steal the family yeah. from its members yeah so children are stolen from their parents and parents are stolen from their children that relationship is is robbed and plundered yeah so then do you think that i mean Obviously, for some people, um, homeschooling is practical and, and they're going to say, yes, I want to do that. We can make that happen for other people. Um, that's nearly impossible. What what are the options that you would you know give that you would how you would encourage young moms who are thinking, OK, I, I don't want my kids in the public schools, but, you know, I. I can't sign up to to teach my kid five days a week because I have a full-time job or other responsibilities. So practical or not, possible or not, I talk about best. Hmm. If you want the best for your child, then you preserve the bond. And you preserve the bond by not breaking it every day and turning your child over to a literally a complete stranger. Sam, thank you. I think this is so helpful because even for someone like me who who doesn't yet have kids, these are things that I'm increasingly think about of just like, okay, you know, there will be a time when I, I need to cross that bridge. Yeah. And so I, I already need to be making that plan of how do I want to deal with this? And I mean, I think five years ago, if someone would a- had asked me if, if I would ever consider homeschooling, I would have laughed and said, absolutely not. But uh, now increasingly, it's like, okay, not only is this beginning to seem like, okay, the public schools are not a great option, but also just kind of learning, like, there are so many great tools out there that make it doable for for families um, that, you know, are in various seasons of life and have various challenges. Um, So appreciate the work that you're doing. But uh, one more question before we let you go. There's one question that we love to ask all of our guests on this show. um, And that Uh is... The famous question, <laughs> do you consider yourself a feminist? Yes or no? Why or why not? Um, I consider myself a true feminist. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually the first website that I ever put up. That was mm-hmm. my first sort of attempt at branding, um, affirming feminine convictions. So um, I believe that f- uh, there is such a thing as the feminine. And I love the fact that feminists today are even denying that the feminine exists um, and uh, and that the 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 feminists out there that try to reaffirm that there is a difference between men and women and that we shouldn't be allowing men to compete in sports as if they were women are being um, 
ostracized yeah. as turfs. Uh, I think that it's a terrible thing. In fact, I, I even, you know what a turf is? No. It's T-R-E-F, yeah. and um, it refers to somebody who's basically, um, it's a radical feminist who's a trans um, in, denying, basically. Okay. And uh, so you've got Martina Navratilova, I believe, who um, was branded with that. And then also um, J.K. Rollins, who came out and said, uh, you know, we shouldn't be doing this. So. Mm. um, So, yeah. But but here's the problem that we have. The left has taken and I wrote a book about this called Words for Warriors. The left has taken words and changed their meanings on us. And then they use them. With either with the new meanings or the old meanings, it's nebulous, and you're never quite sure what the heck they mean when they say things. And this is this is a degradation of the human language. This is a terrible, terrible thing, and we ought not to be allowing it to happen. And that's why I just call for everybody. The least you can do is stand for the truth. The least that you can do is say, "I don't think that word means what you want it to mean." Mm-hmm. Um, and and not join them in the lie because when we lie we def- we deny God the the lie is the denial of God yeah. because in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God right, right. and Jesus said I am the truth yeah Sam. Thank you. Really appreciate your time and you sharing and the work that you're doing. Again, if you guys want to learn more about Sam, what she's up to, want to buy her books, um, you can check out samsorbo.com. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, But Sam, this has been a real treat just to get to pick your brain for a little bit, hear about what you're working on, um, and, and also hear some of your story. We really appreciate you sharing. Well, it's lovely to hear your voice. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. And that's going to be it for this Tuesday edition of Problematic Women. Join us on Thursday. We're going to be back at it talking about the big issues. We're going to be talking about Roe versus Wade. Got lots planned for you guys on Thursday. So we look forward to seeing you then. If you have not done so, please take a minute to subscribe. Leave us a rating, a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, wherever you listen. We read every single one of those reviews that you all write. It means so much to us and it actually helps further the podcast and get the word out to other people. We love hearing from you all. Follow us on Instagram if you aren't. And we will be right back here with you on Thursday. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.